song sort of lends itself to a, a reminder that in our distress and in our hurt and in our pain, and I, I have found in my own life that um, it is only as we praise him, it is only as we force our lips to praise him that he brings healing to our hearts, healing to our lives. That's what makes Thanksgiving so important, the concept of Thanksgiving so important. And we're going to look at that uh, more deeply in a few moments. Um, I might invite you to, to uh, after the service, meet with Elizabeth. She'll be out in the lobby and has some of her music there that you might want to pick up. Also want to uh, congratulate Matthew and Rebecca Jones and the birth of their child, our own Rebecca McEntee Jones, who now has her own child, all nine pounds, ten ounces of swaddling, swaddling glory. So Micah Matthew has been born, so uh, we congratulate uh, John and Natalie, grandparents, veteran grandparents, but uh, each one is special, I'm sure. I know that too. Well, if you've been here for 28 years, and even if you haven't, no matter how many years you've been here, you've been looking at that verse on the wall, oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together, and uh, have probably wondered about it and wondered how you do that. And uh, I was thinking about all the verses that could have been put on the church wall, um, and there, there are... The Bible is full of great verses, obviously. The Bible itself is, is uh, content is great verses. And to pick out one verse and, you know, shine the light on it is quite a daunting task. But I, I want to tell you this morning why I think the choice of that verse by the congregation here is a very good one. And um, we're going to look at that this morning as we... Uh, look into the Word of God. We want to look at it from a couple of directions in particular. As we think of this as Thanksgiving weekend and how that is so fitting and so important to us, how do we do that? I think as we look at a verse like that, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. How practically do you do that? What should we be doing? Um, it's a verse. It's just a verse if we don't really know how to practically do what we're being exhorted and encouraged to do. And... Um, we want to know how to please the Lord by obeying His invitation to, um, to magnify His name. And so um, if your Bibles are, are available this morning, I want you to open to uh, Psalm 69. It's a compa- companion section there. We're going to look at it, but uh, as we do, let's just pause for prayer. Our Father and our God, as always, we want to stop and thank you, first of all, for your word that instructs us. We thank you for you, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who came to die for us so we might have salvation, but we want to thank you for your word that helps us to understand how we are to live and how we are to relate to you, and oh God, we look at this great verse today, this this exhortation, oh come magnify the Lord with me. It sounds majestic, it sounds great, but Lord, we need to know what to do about that, how we can do that, so would you lead us into truth this morning? Thank you for your word that it guides us and directs us. And I just pray, Father, that you'd reach into our hearts this morning. I I think as I look across the congregation here this morning, as I did in the first service, I know there are are wounded hearts. I know that there are people in distress. I know that 
For some, this has not been a good, good week. It's been a stressful week, and there's, there's distractions and fears and all kinds of things, Lord. But would you, just, would you just bring us to the foot of your throne and let us exalt your name together? Let's just magnify you. And let's see what happens if we do, oh God. Let, let's just set our honest hearts before you and say, oh Lord, I don't know how to magnify you. I don't know how to exalt you. In fact, I don't even know I can, I don't even know I feel like I can do that. But Lord, would you, would you instruct us today and help us that we might get there and be able to just lift up our hearts today as you teach us your ways, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, critical to an understanding of this verse is that word magnify. How do we magnify the Lord? And uh, when we think about magnification, there's two, at least two directions we can go. One is to take something that's very small and make it large. Uh, when I was uh, evacuating my daughter Brahman out of the U.S., I, uh, we came out of a motel one morning and I saw this glorious looking moth on the wall. And uh, for those of you who are entomologists, you'll know that this is a luna moth. And uh, one of the more spectacular moths that exist in North America, maybe the Cyprico, or the uh, um, Cypria moth is better, more impressive, but there aren't many uh, moths that are true, true impressive. Uh, they appear during the night most of the time, so only God gets to see them. I'm, I'm always impressed when there's something that, is, that God has made that is deep, deep in the sea that nobody sees, or it uh, only comes around at nighttime, so hardly anybody sees it, because you really know he, he made this stuff for himself. And so you have this, this beautiful green moth, which I thought was only native to the south, but when I did a little research, it's actually... Uh, a, comes all the way up to southern Ontario and out to the east coast. Anybody seen one of these moths before around here? Okay, yeah, a few of you. There's only one in the last service, me and another guy. So, um, <laughs> so this is a pretty rare moth, but it's around, but more popular in the south. Uh, well, so what I did, of course, is I took a picture with my cell phone, and then I cropped it. So, the, you know, we magnify something that's a small moth, and it looks quite massive and gigantic. And it helps us to learn, as, as we magnify something small and, and get to look at it a little bit large, we get to see some characteristics of it that we maybe wouldn't notice or whatever. And so we look at there, and we can tell that's a male luna moth, for those of you who study moths. And we can tell that because it's antennae or far more brushy, wider than the female moth. And uh, we can also tell something about that moth. We can tell that it's probably the second or third brood of its mother um, because uh, the, first, the first brood has a more yellow fringe and this guy has a more purple fringe. So uh, he's like in the second or third brood of, of, his, uh, of his family in a given year. Uh, it, when, of course, the moths who, the luna moth that lives in southern Ontario can only uh, give, uh, can only breed with one brood per year because it's too cold here. But down in Texas, like, they just, they just keep having baby luna moths like crazy. And so there's lots of them down there. Anyway, that's, that's one kind of magnification, right? You take something small and you make it big. There's another kind of magnification that's more like a binocular, a telescope, and we have like a lunar, if we had the lunar surface, for instance, um, that's something already massive 
that you're now just bringing more attention and more awareness to. That's another kind of magnification. It, 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 we don't make it bigger. It's, in fact, it's, it's gigantic. We, we can't even imagine the size of the moon or the sun or other stellar bodies. And through telescopes, we come to realize how incredibly awesome the universe really is. And so that's another kind of magnification. So this, by definition, is to bring sort of an awareness to what's already massively impressive, but often ignored or we're unaware of the details. And that's really more in line with the magnification that we're talking about, oh, magnify the Lord. We're not, taking, we're not trying to make something small, magnified. We're, we're, we're invited to take something that's already massively impressive, the Lord God, and, and bring awareness to his magnificence to the world. So that's really this kind of magnification. We are to magnify the Lord. The, the word magnify there or in the text is, is gadal. And uh, I'm going to throw out a rickism to you, which really means to bigify something that is already great. To bigify something that is already great. Several years ago, I... Uh, I, was, I began using a description for our congregation, the role of our congregation um, as believers, that we should be people who make God look good and Christ known. And a lot of people said to me, what are you talking about, make God look good? I mean, it sounds kind of, and I said, y you're misunderstanding it. The scripture texts are always telling us what magnify is all about. We are not, we are not trying to, to prop God up like he isn't good or something and try to make him look good. No, no. God is good. God is excellent. God is awesome. And our role is to make sure we don't look, make him look bad. Our, our role is to make sure that in our lives, how we are living, we are making the living God look good like he is. That others might praise the Father in heaven. And uh, that's what magnify is, all, already, is really about. So we're restating uh, to make God look good in Christ. No, we're really restating, oh, magnify the Lord with me and exalt his name together. Now, the question is, how do we do that? How do we magnify the Lord? And that's why I've asked you to turn to Psalm 69 because there's a real help there that will show us from the scriptures. I want to look at uh, verses um, 29 to verse 34 and uh, start there. In, in Psalm 69, I am in pain and distress. Anybody, can anybody feel what the uh, psalmist is feeling today? I'm in pain and distress. And then he says, may your salvation, O God, protect me. And then he says this, I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving in the NIV but in the New American Standard and better translated and magnify him with thanksgiving, this will please the Lord more than an ox, more than a bull with its horns and hooves. The poor will see and be glad. You who seek God, may your hearts live. The Lord hears the needy and does not despise his captive people. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and all that move in them. This is the word of God. So how? I, I want you to notice there, do you see in verse 30? I will praise God's name in song and magnify him, correct translation, with thanksgiving. I will praise, interesting there, I will praise the Lord. The word there, halal, literally means make fools of ourselves. 
in song. We, we are called upon, when we gather together and pr- to praise the Lord, we are literally invited to make fools of ourselves. Now, not to be silly and not to, not to downplay or, or, or make the, the situation irreverent toward the living God, but in the sense of how awesome God is and how insignificant we are, we are to literally make fools of ourselves in praising the greatness of God. We are to make certain, because this is a killer, we are to make certain that there isn't found in us at all any pride. Because any pride in us will take away the glory and, and focus on the living God. And so the, the word here to get an understanding of it, halal, is to literally brag on God by making a fool of ourselves. Remember when David was bringing back the Ark of the Covenant and he was dancing before the Lord and his wife, Michael, says to him, you're making a fool of yourself? He didn't say, oh, yeah, I'm going to stop. He said, I'll make a greater fool of myself in light of the greatness of God. He is so great. I don't want anybody to be, to be looking at me. I don't want anybody to think I'm something special. It is God who is special. So if they think I'm a fool and God is great, I'm good with that. And so when we gather together and praise the Lord in song, we're to make sure that the focus is on him and he's the one who's great. But he gives a companion uh, point here by saying, and, med- and, and magnify him with thanksgiving. The way we are to do magnify the best, according to the scriptures, is through thanksgiving. That's why the Apostle Paul was so correct, and of course, led by the Spirit in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, when he said to the Thessalonians that we should give thanks to the Lord in everything. For this, he says, is the will of God in Christ Jesus. To give thanks in everything. Now, I want to make a case for that this morning. Because interestingly, the backdrop of the psalmist here is, I am in pain and distress. And then within a few quick sentences, he says, Oh, won't you magnify God with with thanksgiving? He knows something maybe that we don't know about the heart and about what changes the heart and about what moves the heart. So the question that we want to embark upon this morning, so we know the what we're to magnify, we know the how through thanksgiving, but now we need to know why thanksgiving. Why is thanksgiving so important to God? Why is it the the emotion that he has chosen to say, that's how you magnify me, through thanksgiving. I just want to pull out two ideas from this particular text this morning to give an answer why. There's many other why, many other answers to the why question, but I just want to pull out two this morning. And the first is this, because thanksgiving magnifies God as giver. It magnifies God as giver. There isn't anything we have or enjoy that didn't come from the hand of God. You think about it. Anything that we have that's material, anything that we have that's spiritual, the air that we breathe, the breathe, the water that we drink, the food that we eat, the internal working of our body that continues to function, everything that we have comes from God. We need to stop and think about every breath 
that we take is the, is the goodness and grace of a giving God, everything. As you enjoy Thanksgiving meals today or yesterday or the next day, it's of the good hand of God who caused the sun to shine, the rain to fall, the farmer to have the strength to, to produce the crops, and you get it to your table. It's of the good hand of God. It doesn't just sort of appear in a grocery store, you know. It comes from something. It comes from God. Everything that we have is from Him. The Apostle Paul is so distressed when he writes in Romans chapter 1 and 18 and following. He's so distressed that the, the basic propensity of humanity is not to be thankful to God. He writes there in, first, in Romans chapter 1 that although the, the, the attributes of God, his characteristics are, are seen by the universe itself and by the greatness of creation, and that people know God or they should know God, they, they ignore him and they neither, uh, they neither praise him nor thank him. Why don't they? Because we live among a humanity that is for the most part suffering from an attitude of entitlement. They think that the things that they have, they deserve. They should have. I've worked hard for this. I, it, I should have this. No one could work hard if God didn't give strength. They all also have an attitude of radical independence. And this attitude, these attitudes should not be found among God's people. Throughout the pages of Scripture, we are exhorted over and over again by the living God to be thankful people, to stop and thank God. This Thanksgiving weekend always gives us an opportunity to think more deeply about these things, more carefully about it, and to then to realize as, as we thumb through the pages of our Scripture just how important Thanksgiving is to God. He makes a big deal out of it. He wants us to recognize him as the giver. And he, he pulls out, there, I want to pull out a couple of things here that he wants to point out are reasons that we should be thanking him as giver. Notice here, I am in pain and distress. And then he says this, may your salvation, O God, protect me. The first thing that, that the sort of the telescope of the psalmist here that, that God wanted to place as front and center is to those in trouble, God saves. God is a saving God. The backdrop is this is a very disturbing time. The psalmist is crying out for justice. The evil should be hammered and har the harm should be vindicated. This is not a good time. And David is making the point, but God saves. The important lesson that's drawn out of here is trouble is temporary. But God's salvation is eternal. And so we need to put those two, we need to juxtapose those two things in our lives. Yes, this may be a very distressing time in your life, but it will end. There is a termination date of our trouble. But the salvation of God does not end. It goes on forever and ever and ever. We are people who are going to benefit and are benefiting from the salvation of God who pulls us out and rescues us from our distress. In the comparison, the Apostle Paul says, these things that are going on are light and momentary troubles. Now, I know for most of us, and I can speak for myself, that none of the troubles that we ever go through feel like light and momentary, do they? That's not a description most of us would use. I'm, I'm just going through a light and momentary trouble. 
Are you serious? None of us take it as that approach. But in contrast, and this is where the Apostle Paul could come because he knew about distress. He knew about trouble. He knew about persecution. He knew about pain. He wasn't losing his mind. He was simply comparing it in comparison to what we have in our salvation. We will say someday that was just light and momentary. When we're a a million years old, we will say that few years of distress and pain, in fact, it won't even cross our mind anymore. It's like a speck because when, well, a million years old, when you're a billion years old, when you're 10 billion years old, when you're a trillion years old, when you're a gazillion years old, is there anything else that we can do? When you're a gazillion to the power of a thousand years old, Am I talking now about some sort of number that can get, you can get your mind wrapped around? We are going to be living in the presence of our wonderful God as saved, redeemed people for gazillions of years in comparison to the distressing time now, which is really small. So I know it's hard, but we thank God with hope that it's a momentary light struggle compared to your salvation. And the psalmist here is is, um, really distressed. If you look at verse 22, he's like, may the table set before them, he's talking about his enemies now, may the table set before them become a snare. May it become, it's like they go to lunch and a trap gets them. I mean, this is not, this is, may it become retribution and a trap. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and their backs be bent forever. Pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. May their place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in their tents, for they persecute those you wound and talk about the pain of those you hurt. Charge them with crime upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. I'm in pain and distress. May your salvation, O God, protect me. That's the way you want to end that kind of tirade. You got to turn to God and thank Him for who He is. Because not only is He saving God, but He cares for those who are in need. God cares. Look at the poor will see and be glad. You know what makes Thanksgiving such a neat commodity? It doesn't cost anything. You can give, you can load God up with Thanksgiving. It's not going to cost you a cent. So the poor can say, I, I can get in on this. You don't have to be wealthy to get in on this Thanksgiving to God. It doesn't matter what your economic status is, you can thank God. Unlike the caricature of gods who selfishly abuse humanity in the, in the stories of human mythology and the gods that humans create. Our God's not like that. He's easy to thank. He's not looking to amass things from you. He's not looking to take things away from you. He has everything. He doesn't need anything. He always interested in things that move the heart of God are his relationship with you and your needs. Can you think about that? That's who your God is. That's what moves him. His relationship with you and your needs. That's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of God we're invited to thank every day of our lives. 
There's a second major point here. Not only do we thank, does thanksgiving magnify God as giver, but thanksgiving is an act of the heart that magnifies God's value. I will praise God's name in song and glorify him and magnify him with thanksgiving. The Lord hears the needy, does not despise his captive people. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and all that move in him. The psalmist is, is reminding himself of the great value of God. Who but God can save us? Who but God can take us out of captivity? Who but God can take care of our needs? Who but God sees our distress? Many of us are suffering in silence. Nobody around is noticing. Nobody knows the depth of your pain. Nobody knows how much you are struggling, but God knows exactly and cares. You know, when we make a big deal out of God as the giver, we are magnifying his value to us. Receiver is not the one who should be valued. We're the receivers. It's the giver who you value. The greatness of God. He has the things we need and he can give them to us. I think there's a couple of insights that we need to understand here. Because as you read this, the psalmist, after he says, and, and magnify him with thanksgiving, he said, this will please the Lord more. That always catches my attention. When I'm reading in the Bible a line that says, this will please the Lord, I stop and think about it. What will please the Lord? Because I want to please the Lord. Don't you want to please the Lord? We were made to worship him. We were made to please him. So when I see something that says, this will please the Lord more, I want to get in on that because I want to bring pleasure to my, my Father, my God in heaven. So why does thanksgiving please the Lord more than a gift of an ox or a bull, in other words, a sacrifice? Why does that please the Lord more? I think it does because sacrifice comes from the heart, or thanksgiving comes from the heart, but sacrifice may not. I want to think about this for a few moments. This concept of the theology of God speaking to us and saying, thanksgiving means more to me than sacrifice, is not a new idea, and it's not, it's not a brand new idea right here. It spans the scriptures. In fact, let me just exhaust you with what I looked up this, this week. Psalm, this, this very concept is, is replayed in 1 Samuel 15, Psalm 40, 6 to 8, Psalm 50, 8 to 15 and 22, 51, 16, Proverbs 21, 3, Isaiah 1, 11 to 15, Jeremiah 7, 22, Hosea 6, 6, Amos 5, 25, Micah 6, 6 to 8, Matthew 9, 13, Mark 12, 33. On and on it goes. Where this idea of it is more important to thank the Lord or obey the Lord than to sacrifice. Now, by the way, the Lord in His Word does not eliminate sacrifice, does not eliminate offering. He's simply saying that to Him, the first priority is either obedience or thanksgiving, and they kind of fit together. 
And it started, of course, with King Saul when he was told by Samuel to go and, and destroy the enemy and destroy everything that the enemy had, all their sheep, all their cattle, everything, as a, as a, 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 a way of honoring God. And then when Samuel showed up after the battle and asked Saul, um, did you take care of the, what God said to do? Was everything gone? And, and he said, yes, everything's gone. And, and, he, and he hears, moo. That's kind of like a sheep cow. Um, I told you, I'm not a farmer. I do the best I can. He's like, what, what's, the bleeding, what's this bleeding of sheep? Oh, well, we, we kept the best to sacrifice to your God. And it's then that Samuel, through the work of the Holy Spirit, said, don't you know, Saul, that to obey is more important than sacrifice? See, anybody can sacrifice. I, I, can, I can put 10, 20 bucks, 30 bucks on an offering plate. But it doesn't mean that my heart is right with God. But for me to thank the Lord, it has to come from the heart. You know, when you think about it, um, anybody who's raising kids or has raised kids, you'll know that this is true, that, that it takes a, a real attitude of love and a, and a right heart in order to thank. When the kids are, were little, they, you know, they scrap fairly regularly because that's what kids do. And I, I'm here to testify that one day they grow up and if they're scrapping, I don't know about it, which is good. But when they're in your house, you know about it and they're scrapping. And we used to always make them, okay, you know what? You now have to go hug each other and kiss each other. You know, it's one of those, you've all done that. It's like the, this stiff hug. It's like. <laughs> and then the walk away and it's like, oh, no, you didn't kiss them. Okay, I kiss them. And it's the, it's the, uh, it's the glance kiss, like, <laughs> walk away. You can, you can make external things happen. But to really love from the heart, to really be thankful, from the, for, to really be thankful comes from the heart. And so for, for God and through the, all of theology here, we're all constantly reading that, that God wants the priority to be our heart. Why? Why the heart? Because God, for, for God, what we are is what really matters. What we do must come from what we are, but what we do is not important to God unless it comes from the right place of what we are. That's what makes Thanksgiving so crucial. Why can't I be thankful or why wouldn't I thank someone? It's because I'm angry at them. I would submit to you that if you are struggling to thank God, you can't thank God or you don't want to thank God, it's because you're angry with God. And you need to go back to that place in terms of your relationship and start there and recognize, wait a second, I mean, the psalmist was quite angry about all the hassles he was going through. But he came to his senses and realized, wait a second, God's my only hope. God's my only salvation. God's my only way out of this. 
God's my only rescue out of captivity. God's my only hope for being in need. It's God who I need. I have to thank him. And so he thanks. He thanks the living God. God is most pleased when our hearts move us. Our hands might be just pretending, but our hearts are always honest. Thanksgiving removes us or trains us to remove the temptation also to live with bad theology. Notice what he says here. The reason I'm more pleased, he says, with thanksgiving than I am with an ox or a bull is I don't need horns and hoofs. I mean, God kind of um, zeroes in on, on something quite ridiculous, or at least to give us a picture of something ridiculous. So like, seriously, you're bringing me hooves and horns. You're thinking that I, the God of the universe, who made this spectacular universe, and it's all mine, you think I need horns and hooves? Again, he's not saying, he didn't eliminate sacrifice. He didn't say, don't, don't do it. He's just saying, you better understand that I have all things. I don't need anything. We're not bringing stuff to God because he needs it. We're bringing stuff to God because we need to express our heart to the Lord. That's what we're doing. There is a need for us to be thankful because there's a bad theology that we can get caught up in that somehow our gifts would make God feel thankful or indebted to us. This is the stench of prosperity theology. Its motivation isn't to magnify God as the generous giver and valuable, but rather God to be indebted to me as the giver and valuable. It, it turns the whole thing upside down and, 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 and is asking God to be thankful for me. And in so doing, since he's expected to magnify us, he's expected to um, increase my loyalty contract by increasing my net worth. God is not thankful that we give him back his own stuff. I mean, think about it. People borrow stuff from you. Are you eternally thankful that they bring it back to you? Oh, thank you for my hammer. You're such an awesome person. Wait a second, it's my hammer. I don't have to be thankful that you brought it back. I mean, you should bring it back. Jordan. It's all right. It's all good. It's all good. So it's, all, it's all good, Jordan. But I'm not going to be thankful when you bring me stuff back. It's what you should do. It's our reasonable service. God's not thankful for that. We're the ones who are thankful that we have things that are God's to give him back. That's the difference. And he's over the top pleased. God is over the top pleased when your heart is full of thanksgiving, even in the midst of distress and pain. 
because you recognize him as a good giver and you recognize him as the great value and that's how our lives are shaped and then people around us notice that we've magnified the Lord not because we've made him greater than he is but because people have become aware of how great he is and how valuable he is so when we go out for turkey dinner or whatever we do wherever we are with whatever people we're with we're the people who need to pause and bow our heads and thank God for what he's given to us and the people around at the very least notice the telescope of our hearts which says that God is really really valuable to me and I thank him for what he has given to me one writer puts it this way what would appear to be so is that thanksgiving is more to God's liking and more to man's help than the most expensive sacrifice he hasn't removed sacrifice and offering in fact Thanksgiving is called an offering it pleases him more though because it's an offering from the heart and that's the icing on the cake for God now you know it seems to me that we do a lot of things right as God's worshiping community and today is no exception come together and virtually every Sunday we offer a sacrifice of our gifts our offerings we pray together we praise the Lord use halal the Lord we pay attention to the Word of God and we've heard it taught to us but one thing we don't do very often it would seem is just thank the Lord just thank him for what he's done it's a pleasing offering to the Lord and so as you're thinking about thanking the Lord right now I want to, I want to as a congregation offer a thank offering to the Lord and here's how we're gonna do it the first thing that came into your mind of what you're thankful for I'm gonna say Lord thank you and I want you to turn me down guys if you don't mind but I'm gonna say Lord thank you for and I want all of us to offer something to the Lord right now as a thank offering okay ready Lord thank you for that wasn't loud enough come on Lord thank you for all right father we thank you we want to have thankful hearts we should have thankful hearts we can have thankful hearts because everything comes from you including the ability to have a thankful heart so Lord would we accurately and correctly recognize that to magnify the Lord means to thank him to thank him privately to thank him publicly to thank him all the time for everything Lord we thank you and we love you we praise you in Jesus name amen well we're going to invite you now to participate in a ceremony that really is a ceremony of Thanksgiving
The table of the Lord is really, that, that's what it is. For 2,000 years, we have been linked together with our heritage as believers in Jesus Christ of this ceremony, a consistent ceremony to come before the Lord and remember to thank Him. That's why in some circles this is called the Eucharist. Eucharist is just a, a Greek word which means give thanks. Jesus, when he, um, um, after, after, on the night he was betrayed, um, it says that he broke bread and gave thanks. And that's the word Eucharist. And so that's what, what the Lord's table is all about. It's a thanksgiving. And of course, the Lord himself was in his most distressing moment of his earthly existence. It was just before the crucifixion. And here he is. What is Jesus, our Lord, doing? He's thanking the Father. It's the attitude that we are to have all the time. So we're inviting you as this long tradition of those who have been baptized into the name of Jesus Christ as their Savior, we want you to join with us at the table of the Lord. The greatest covenant that has ever been made is represented by our thanksgiving at this table. The promise of being freed from the slavery to sin and the promise of eternal life. I mean, think about those two things, just those two things. The promise of freedom from slavery to sin and the promise of eternal life. That's what we are thanking the Lord for at this very moment. You know, the Lord Jesus gave us this ceremony of thanksgiving. so that we would never forget to remember the cost of our salvation and what Christ has done for us, setting us free from the captivity of sin and granting us eternal life. And when our hearts are thankful, not only is God glorified, magnified, made look good, but in that process, He heals our hearts. It's there at the place of thanksgiving that the Lord God reaches into our life and heals us from our distress and our disturbances and our pains and our fears and our hurts and reminds us this is all temporary but my love and salvation is forever and ever and ever. Oh God, we thank you this morning. We love you and we praise you. May many thanksgivings come from our hearts to you, oh God, as your people. This weekend, these days, and throughout all of our days, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.